0: You guys have seen that one, right? Gone Girl, a friend of mine says as I pass her a pastel pink cocktail. Her second, if anyone is counting, which they aren't. That was a crazy ending, she says through increasingly glassy eyes. You know that was based on Scott and Lacey Peterson, right? Another woman chimes in, looking as though she has been hiding a winning lottery ticket in the lining of her skirt. The table reacts appropriately with shock and disbelief. Oh, come on, she says. Tell me they don't look alike. I'm just saying. That reminds me of a woman from my hometown who murdered two of her husbands by force-feeding them antifreeze, another member of our party chimes in. She tried to make it look like a suicide, and she would have gotten away with it, too, if she hadn't left so many damn fingerprints. Sloppy, the first woman slurs, now obviously intoxicated. I've got one, I say. I don't know how many of you know this, but my commute to work is kind of far. I live out in the country on a beautiful farm that has been in my family for generations. My husband Mark and I were childhood friends. Neighbors, actually. Everyone always knew we would end up together. Well, everyone but us. When he brought a girlfriend back from college, both of our families thought I was going to be horrified. But I wasn't. Caroline was perfect. So funny and beautiful. It felt immediately as if we had known each other forever. She was the sister I never had. I think I loved her as much as he did. One day, Caroline and I went out horseback riding. She always wanted to race. Caroline was an excellent rider, and she always won, but I humored her in the name of a good time. And besides, if I pouted enough, maybe she would let me borrow the pretty necklace she was wearing. It was a delicate gold chain with a tiny little heart perfect. Just like her. Caroline started the race and galloped ahead. She weaved in and out of the trees so gracefully, but soon veered off the trail, and I lost sight of her. After a while, the race wasn't fun anymore, and I started calling out for her, but she wouldn't answer. I rode all over, looking for her until the sun began to set, at which point I went home. I thought she would be there waiting for me, laughing at how slow and paranoid I was, but no one had seen her. I checked at Mark's house, in town, in all the stables, everywhere I could think of, but she was just… gone. As though something in the woods had swallowed her up whole. We called the police and reported her missing. Two days later, the police called and told me they found her horse wandering around in a neighborhood, disoriented and hungry. They couldn't figure out how he had gotten there or why. They thought maybe I would know because I was with her when she disappeared, but I was just as baffled by the whole thing. Then I remembered that Mark's brother had a little cottage right in that area. I thought maybe Caroline had gotten turned around on the trail or injured and just tried to go to his house for help. The police knocked on his door, but there was no answer. When they finally forced their way in, they found him there, dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound with Caroline's blood-splattered shirt in his hand. There were photos of her all around the cottage and little mementos he had lifted from her at family gatherings. A drugstore receipt here, an earring there, a cocktail napkin with a smear of her signature red lipstick. It seemed that if he couldn't have her, he thought no one should. They never did find Caroline's body though. They confirmed the blood on the shirt was hers. It still haunts me to think of where he may have hidden her. What the fuck? My friend said with a fresh pink drink. You've been sitting on this story for how long? I don't talk about it much. I say quietly. Mark and I got very close during the trial and investigation. We needed each other to lean on. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago as well from a sudden heart attack and they never found her? The antifreeze story woman whispered. Never, I replied. They think he buried her out in the woods, probably in pieces, and over time, the animals got to her. Some people will do anything to get what they want. The waitress approaches with the bill, breaking the story's spell, and asks us all if we want doggy bags. The girls say no, which is such a waste. I'll take the leftovers home, I say, if you don't want them. I can give them to the pigs. Pigs will eat anything, you know. Pink Drink coughs out a little laugh and says, go right ahead. I smile at her graciously and add, hey, tell your husband I said hello, would you? He's always so kind. As I stack boxes into a bag the waitress brought for me. Will do, she says, as though her tongue has become too big for her mouth. As I walk out of the restaurant, a step behind the other girls, I glance in my bag to make sure I have accidentally swept in a cocktail napkin smudged with my associate's signature pink lipstick. She loves anything pink. I reach inside my collar and twist the delicate chain that suspends a tiny gold heart around my neck. I then check my watch to see how much time I have before the tablet I slipped into the second pink drink takes full effect and place my bag of leftovers on top of a hacksaw in the back seat. Some people will do anything to get what they want. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And...
1: We would be dead. time. (laughs) (laughs) Now I get to hear the story. (laughs) Yes.
0: Uh, Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, fiends. So we did originally record our live show, but there was a lot of other noise happening. And so it's not super good to just release as a podcast. So we figured because a lot of people wanted to go and couldn't, we would just record the stories for you guys today. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you were there and you didn't hear all of that opening because we were <laughs> using the wrong mics in the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> then there you go. It's all there for you. Um, so yeah, thank you for those um, who came out and supported us. It was yes, thank you so fun. We had the best time. Yeah, we really did. That was great. It was. I we- want to do it again. Well, <laughs> oh, we will do it again. One hundred percent, you guys. We will do more live shows. It was so cool to see your faces and give you vaccinated hugs and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really fun. Uh, And I'm going to do this quick because when I wrote it, we had a live audience. So I had to zip right through this. So please do us a solid if you are so inclined and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. We wouldn't be here. uh, Well, we were live at the time. We wouldn't have been live with all those lovely people um, without our reviews. And if you want even more We Would Be Dead in your life, you can support us on Patreon, where for just a little monthly donation, you will get all kinds of crazy benefits, including additional content and the chance to get VIP seating at future shows, because we absolutely do want to do this again. And if all of that feels a little overwhelming, you can simply share anything on our social media to your social media. And then I told everyone to take pictures and made Leslie pose for a hot second and then kept going. So if you took pictures... please share them with us. I took no pictures. No, none. Not a single one. Nope. Yep. (laughs) Good. We
1: we were busy. We were
0: very busy. So if you have pictures, please do share them with us. So if you weren't there in person, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a stranger, then your friends and that one stranger you told can become fiends and we can all hang out together. So exciting. Yes. I did it. (laughs) I didn't realize I had written that off for a live audience and had to rephrase it right oh, now. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, do you have anything to add before we get started? Well, like I said in the live show,
0: um, no, nothing this you week. You fooled me, yeah, though, I and I got really, really excited. Leslie was like, yes, I have something to say, and I was like, that's <gasps> not
1: what I said. I was just like, well, Ugh, and then so, you jumped in. I was thrilled. very excited, and then you just embarrassed yourself. I, I thought I was going to have a
0: surprise. I was going to be like, well, not this week. <laughs> Upsetting. <laughs> anyway. All right, then. On with the show.
1: And on with you. Oh, it's me You're first. Yes, That's right. That's <laughs> well, I guess we should mention, so this week is Twist
0: and Shout. Yes, our theme, thing. the name of the episode, which hopefully we'll somehow we'll work it out, is called Twist and Shout. Yeah, and as you can tell from the monologue. Yes. Yeah. So we have stories with a twist tonight.
1: Yeah, exciting.
0: Or today, or this morning, or whenever you're listening to it. Next week. That's when it's happening.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, okay. So my story takes place in 2005. We are in upstate New York near Buffalo. Thomas Montgomery was a 46-year-old man married to his wife Cindy for 16 years, and the two had two teenage daughters he was an ex-Marine who never was deployed or saw action, which is definitely something that bugged him,
0: right? Okay, so we remember he was a Marine, but he didn't do any yeah, violent he just, things. He just did a lot of training,
1: and okay. then that was, that was really it um, before he was just done in service. Oh, yeah. all right then. He now worked full-time as a machinist, churning out components for power tools at the Dyna Brand Corporation, in his free time, he would walk his dog, take his daughters to the pool where he was the vice president of the swim club, attend and host card game nights with the boys, and on Sundays, he would teach Sunday school.
0: Wait, Dinabrand, Like DinoRod? Oh! <laughs> maybe. Maybe we need another dinosaur image. That's exciting. Yeah. Dinabraid.
1: Dinabrad? Dinabraid. I don't know I don't how know. it's spelled. I can't see it.
0: I'm over it's here. It's spelled like
1: Braid. Oh. All right. Yeah, so he was kind of like, he was a stand-up guy in his
0: community. You know, did a lot of things. average blends into the crowd, Exactly. Okay.
1: But obviously at 46 years old, blending into the crowd, not having done anything in the Marine Corps, left him going through a case of the midlife crisis. He wanted more from his job, but would have to take a pay cut to receive more training in order to get a better position. And though his family was comfortable, the pay cut would be hard on them, so he decided to just stay put. His depression was seeping into the bedroom now. He had not been able to be intimate with his wife in some time. He talked to his pastor, who told him he needed to communicate with his wife on what's really going on.
0: I would not want to talk to my pastor about that. I wouldn't be like, "Mm, having a hard time with the sex. Going to go to the church.
1: Well, but that's where, because you're not a church
0: person. I am not. So that's your community.
1: If you go there often, he's a Sunday school teacher. He's there a lot. This is his community and where he
0: feels safe, and he talks to these people, you know? Okay. I mean, like, more power to you. It just strikes me as very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, it is. (laughs) And it's weird that they talk to them about that, but— All right, then I—all right, then. (laughs) But it's something that people do.
1: Well, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Thomas knew the pastor was right, that he should talk to his wife about this, but he was having a hard time talking to her. Obviously, it's it's a hard conversation to have, but that is your wife. You should be talking to her about, like, I think you're hot, but for some reason I can't get it up. Let's talk well, about it. None of it's hard, and that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's exa- <laughs> That's it. Hey. <laughs>
1: So instead, he began distracting himself with more card games. And this is when some of the guys at work invited him to play with them online using the site Pogo. So what I think was happening was he he used to host a lot of games. And then the guys at work were like, we can't get together every night. But like we do go online to the site and we oh, okay. play Blackjack and Texas Hold'em. And we can just go into a group together and, and hang out. And
0: That sounds like a recipe for hemorrhaging money. Um, sometimes it's free. It's like free oh, games okay. too. So I think you're some not wagering of them, money.
1: I don't think, because they had like children's room and teen room. So it was like, I don't
0: think. For the kids that want to play Blackjack. Yeah, that was no. me. <laughs> Leslie. I love Blackjack. <laughs> Keep your money though. Don't be. No, I okay. think it's like,
1: I think I'm sure that there were ones that you could put money into it. But and then I think there were others that are just like on your phone. Like you can play. You're just winning a game. You're not. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No exactly. wagers. And you probably like win points that you can then use. Oh, maybe. All right. Maybe. I don't know. But I think it was just you can play unlimited games on there. Okay. So on Pogo, he can play blackjack, poker, Texas Hold'em, and chat with others using the username Marine Sniper. He's not a sniper. No, but he probably did train for a little bit of that, you know? But he that's also what he probably wanted to be. wants to be that. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. Sometimes the guys at work would meet up in the chat rooms when they played. And he did this for hours every day. Like it started to get. See, it seems much.
0: also weird. How could mm-hmm. you play like a card game and just be like
1: because he was oh, just like. distracting himself? But I mean, that's the one thing we're seeing that, you know, we we discuss it a lot with our kids now, but online gaming can yeah. be very addictive, you know? Yep. Thomas said that these chat rooms were a great way to meet strangers that you could open up to because you would never have to meet them again. So it was an easy way for him to talk about some things without These people knowing who he actually was, so So he he, didn't have to go
0: tell his pastor. Yeah, so (laughs) he he didn't have to tell his pastor or his wife.
1: He could just tell these strange card cardsmen. Cardsmen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cardsmen. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) You're a cardsman. (laughs) That's right. I go by Marine Sniper.
1: (laughs) I'm a cardsman.
0: (laughs) Like the weirdest gambler. Like, maverick situation ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got it.
1: One evening, he was on pogo playing blackjack and chatting as Marine Sniper with the group when the user, Tall Hot Blonde, calls him out for being in a child's chat room. First of all,
0: why are you in a child's chat room?
1: Well, I don't know that he realized that he was in a child or even just like a teen chat room, but. If he did know, I'm sure there was a really good reason for it. Because he thought teen girls were hot is my guess. Sure, yeah, <laughs> that's a good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They are hot.
0: <laughs> Get out of here. We don't promote that. <laughs> we're also not a cult. Leslie, come on. <laughs> ah. Okay.
1: However, he got super. He got super paranoid when this happened because he was like, "I don't want to be on Chris Hansen's next show," you know. Yes. Yeah. I do not want to come out sitting on a couch. <laughs> no, no, no. So he told Talhaplan that he was 18. He was like, I'll fix this right up. I'm 18.
0: Please don't put me on to catch a predator. Otherwise, he'd be showing up at her house with Zima and there'd be a hundred <laughs> video <Yeah>. cameras.
1: <laughs> Why do they always buy Zima? I don't know. Why do they always have balloons? Uh, <laughs> oof. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I swear she was 18. Then why did you bring a fucking balloon? What 18-year-old wants a balloon? And Zima. <laughs> why did you bring Zima? Oh, it's Zima, yeah.
0: Ugh. <laughs> Continue. Okay. Sorry. So
1: now interested, tall, hot blonde sends Marine Sniper a private message, which I assume starts with ASL. Age, sex, location. That's right. I know things. I'm a youth. And You said that during the live show, but all I was thinking was, this was us. Like, we— the youths don't do that now. They don't? Oh, no. okay.
0: Because what they all have pictures. We we oh. didn't have
1: photos on our thing. Yeah, but you can lie. You can, but you wouldn't just be like, I don't know that they start conversations like that. That's what we started our conversations like in chat rooms.
0: I think because now it is less a chat room atmosphere and more mm-hmm. you're like directly talking to people you seek out. Right. That's true. There's not as much like, there's a whole pool of people here. I, I want to know who you are. Yeah. Maybe that's there true. is. I don't know. Guys, I just revealed that I wasn't a youth. No. You're an old person. Get out of here. Just
1: like me. <laughs> so, right away, Thomas learns that tall, hot blonde is also 18.
0: <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> wow.
1: And her name is Jessie Schuyler, and that's Jessie with an I. Ooh, last name, too. Don't. Jessie is a senior in high school who plays softball and basketball and lives in West Virginia. She lives with her parents, her dad works all day, and her mom is a stay-at-home mother. She doesn't feel really connected to her family much and seems that there's, like, a little trouble at home. Jesse wants to know more about Marine Sniper. Thomas decides to play along because why not? He's never going to see this girl again, so what's the harm? No, you are playing a dangerous game. Oh, The most dangerous game. The most
0: dangerous game.
1: He tells her his name is Tommy. That he is a Marine who is currently in boot camp. He has red hair, six feet tall, broad shoulders. He says he suffered from depression after his mother died when he was young and even tried to commit suicide, but the Marines were helping him become a better man. So he made himself
0: out to be like a real
1: tragic case that any young girl would want to save. Yeah, absolutely. But also, so he is clearly, as of right now, he's going through his midlife crisis. He is actually depressed, right? That's the only true part. And he used to be a Marine, so now when he decides that, he's like, all right, I'll play along. I'm 18. He is literally taking pieces from his own life. I don't know that his mom died. I could not even find that mm-hmm. part. But he at least uses that as something, and then just in a reason for him to be depressed and kind of But they,
0: these are rules out of the Catfish Handbook. Like, oh yeah, your mother's sick, get in a car accident, and mm-hmm. say you're a model and that you live somewhere else, and you're— your uh the camera never works on your phone and you broke yep. your this and that, there's like a bunch of like rules that they yeah, all follow exactly. and that is one of them and now remember
1: listeners this is 2005 so this is pre catfish we don't even have the term catfish yet
0: Neve wasn't here to save us all That's right I love catfish <laughs> After
1: hours of talking Jesse sends him a photo of herself she is actually a tall hot blonde Wow she's probably like 10 but okay yep. <laughs> I believe in this photo that she was wearing like a bikini. And we saw that
0: in the oh, live, yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. it'll be up in the photo suite this week. There's um photos of her looking like a tall hot blonde, yes, French mm-hmm. manicure. and so now the uh, the first photo that she
1: sends him isn't like very provocative, but it is sexy because she's just in she's in like a regular bikini that you mm-hmm. might wear going to the beach or something. I think she was like going and getting into a pool, and somebody like snapped it for her.
0: Yeah, they all look like kind of like she's trying, but none of them are like nudes or anything. No, and some of them, the ones
1: that she'll send later, look, uh, there's some that are definitely posed, like her and her family went to JCPenney's and they got some photos done. That's what you send to a guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> <laughs> she now wants a photo of him. So Thomas decides at this point to go full Tommy. And sends her an almost 30-year-old photo of when he was in the Marines.
0: Uh, I also hate that he changes
1: his name to, like, Young It Up. I know. He's like, I'm Tommy. Gross. <laughs> she loves the picture, and she thinks he's so cute. You bet. Thomas cannot believe he's getting away with this. Like, how do, <laughs> <laughs> With good reason. I know. He's like, I just sent a 30-year-old folder, fo- photo, and she is, like, not even questioning it. Right, and he's just like, "Oh, she's so stupid and young, and I love it." <laughs> Ew. And thus begins months of correspondence with Jesse. Their instant messaging becomes so frequent that the two start calling each other on the phone. Tommy tells Jesse he can call her in the late evenings because that's when he's off duty, or it's probably just because that's when his wife and kids are in
0: bed. Hundred percent. Yes, that ah. is another one of the catfish rule book. If they can only call you late at night, it's because they have. Like, a wife or a girlfriend mm-hmm. or a husband or a boyfriend or a family.
1: <laughs> I also think that they may have—so there, there is a documentary, and we'll talk about it soon. But um, I feel like he may have also been able to call her probably at, the, at his work, too. Like, he would find other time so it wasn't as weird. Right. So she wants to send him letters. Uh, so he has her send them to his father's house where he can pass them on to him at boot camp. In reality, she's just sending them to Thomas's actual house. Does his wife never get the mail? No, I don't know. Okay. He just—maybe he's the one that gets the mail. Maybe. Many of the letters are your average love letter. Jessie is just confessing to him how much she loves him and yearns for him. She can't wait to graduate and for him to be at a boot camp so they can finally meet and be together. She plans to go to college but feels really lost. She has a lot of friends, but no one really seems to understand her the way that Tommy does. Of
0: course.
1: She tells Tommy that he is her way out of West Virginia. She also confides to him that she is still a virgin and is waiting for marriage, which of course excites Thomas. All of that is terrible. Tommy writes back to her and tells her how much she has changed his life. That he was depressed and wanted out of this world, but now talking to her, he sees a future and would love nothing more than to be her husband and to, t- to take care of her forever. That
0: you took it too far. Yeah. That's a big leap. Yeah.
1: Well, again, but they have been talking for months and months at this point. They've never It met. had been a while. They and haven't getting but they're talking. They're talking for hours a day and sending letters and talking constantly.
0: Don't get engaged to a person you've never been in person with. Like that's not okay. I know.
1: It's but this is where we learn later how how scary these kind of relationships can be. Yeah. Because when you are talking to people constantly and you are starting to feel a connection, you can get really obsessed with that. You and know? texting
0: is like false intimacy. Yeah. Like you you like you can lie. Mm-hmm. You can easily lie and, and make up a persona. And you can't even hear vocal inflection. Right. Texting is however you want to frame it. Right. So it's really easy to do that. Also, virgins are bad at sex. Why? Why is that a thing? Why are you like, I want a virgin? That means you want a child. That's disgusting. Yeah. I don't care. Holy rollers. You can frame it however you want. It's disgusting. Oh. <sighs> hmm Besides
1: letters, <laughs> Jesse also liked to send Tommy cute little presents. One package <sighs> included a necklace. Like one of those heart necklaces that you can break in half. Best friends. And she sent him the one with her name on it while she wore the other half with his name on it. Gross. So cute. Jessie would also send photos of herself. No nudes, but she had pictures of her playing softball and basketball and several other glam shots.
0: There on the was like, softball team, that says that nothing says adult like softball practice. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she's still a senior in high school. Doesn't graduate. Anymore. All right, so he knows that. All right. Yeah.
1: One of the packages from Jesse even included a pair of her red panties. Mm-mm. Like a virgin has red panties. <sighs> Ironically, the same day Tommy received this package was the same day he found out he was no longer impotent. I hate that. I know. Ew. I know. Tommy and Jesse were really falling in love. Were they? <sighs> they were. They were so in love. Okay. Yeah. Thomas was consumed with talking to Jesse. It was all he thought about. She would ask about video chatting, but of course his laptop on base did not have that function. Uh-huh, Catfish 101. He knew now that she would want to meet him, and as badly as he wanted to be with her, he knew she was not in love with the real Thomas, but with the 18-year-old Tommy. Yeah. 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 <sighs> At one point, Thomas decides he needs to slow down with Jessie and starts backing off. He even introduces her to his pretend father. So now he's just spiraling. (laughs) Here's
0: my fake dad.
1: (laughs) He is just like creating this crazy story. It's wild.
0: do that too, though. It's always like, oh, here's my best friend and my sister and also 18 online profiles that I have made to create my own village of people. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Jesse starts talking to him whenever Tommy is on a mission. Tommy's father is nice to Jesse, but tells her that the relationship needs to end and that he won't be relaying any more messages to Tommy for her. Mm -mm. Jesse is confused and heartbroken, of course, which then leads Thomas to feel horrible, like, I just broke this little girl's heart, and I love her so much. And in the end, Tommy and Jesse continue their relationship. No! Ugh, I hate it. Because love cannot be shattered like that, you know? You just— they can't. They can't. Then in December of 2005, Tommy asked Jesse to marry him. No. See, he's really in love. Yeah. Because once he's out of boot camp, she will need to be his wife to live on base with him, obviously. Like, that okay. wouldn't work otherwise, no, right? No, that can't. Hmm. So all of this is through instant message. Of course. <laughs> Why would it be any other way than that? And Jesse writes back, Yes, I will marry you, Tommy. It won't be long till I'm Jessica Blair Montgomery. <clears throat> Thomas was like, well, shit. I am really in deep now. Now you have to marry that girl. He thought <laughs> about killing Tommy off in some patrol accident. Put him in a car accident. Yep. yep. <laughs> but he just couldn't do that. He was like, I can't leave her. Also, she needs me. I she would love be attention. devastated. <laughs> Instead, he decided it would be a good time to take Jesse's virtual virginity.
0: Ew! So escalate instead. Smart. I can't back off. I'll just double down. Yeah. I just hate virtual virginity. That's disgusting. I don't want want to know entirely what that means, but it's also (gasps) mildly confusing. It's just it's sexting. So they just full blown. You just said like, okay, now there's penetration. (laughs) Yeah, you That's just not, that means nothing. You wrote a sentence. You're still a virgin. Okay. Get out of here. It's like, yeah, but her virtual
1: virginity. Oh, this is the okay. first time, is it, that she is doing this with a is another young man. It's so gross because okay, so this documentary, which is called Tall, Hot, Blonde, and it's on Prime, came okay. out in 2009. They do show some of the text messages because you can't really find these transcripts. And if you can, please send them to me because I tried really hard, but. <laughs> there is like three novels
0: worth of transcripts that they have of their conversations. I, just, I, I feel like it would be very uncomfortable. Yeah.
1: Well, it was very uncomfortable to read these, especially because he describes his penis as a snake about to enter her. Huh? And that's when I just had to pause it, walk away, take a shot of tequila, and breaths. then I came back
0: in. And- <laughs> wow. <sighs> yeah, first of all, why would you ever want that to happen? That's terrible imagery. I don't know. We all I'm know Leslie sure. hates snakes, too, so that was just rough. Every time
1: I, ugh, every time I read that part, <laughs> it makes me so nauseous. <laughs> it's an awful image. It's awful. It's awful. And I've seen it done in some horror films, you know, with a snake. Like, those kind of imagery things. You've seen someone get fucked by a snake? Well, like, the idea that that's what, what was going watching? to happen.
0: What are you watching? Horrible,
1: <laughs> horrible satanic movie. Oh, no. We just, you you do some. Sorry, s- I just yelled into the mic, John.
0: <laughs> you had yeah, a weird time at home recently.
1: <sighs> guys, guys, please don't talk about your penis as a snake. Ever. Okay. So, anyway. You're going to be all right. Thomas says, "At this point, he was starting to feel really dirty." Yeah, yeah. you think? Me too. But talking to Jesse and pretending to be Tommy was like a drug to him. So this uh, is where yeah. we're getting into that addicting, absolutely kind of thing. And if anybody has watched Catfish, like they they probably talk about that all the time, yeah. like just the addiction of talking.
0: Fucking love Catfish.
1: I mean, I couldn't wait to get home from school and like get on Instant Messenger, yeah, and just talk to my friends,
0: yeah, and weird
1: chat rooms and see like who's out there.
0: We definitely did that too. Yeah. Thank God, no one like took advantage of it. Because mm-hmm. when you're like 14, you're like, whatever. Everyone they nice. always
1: ask you for photos. I luckily never sent any. I never did either. But it was. It I also could. I couldn't see. I could, and it it probably. I'm just thankful that I didn't. But it was very easy. After a while, you're like, I think it's gonna be fine. And then, luckily, I watched an episode of Smart Child on TGIF, and Good. they did a whole thing about it. I was like, I don't want to get taken as a child. (laughs) That's smart. You're a smart child. I am. (laughs) So everything was going pretty smoothly at this point. Thomas was fully committed to Tommy. The only time he is not Tommy is when he has to be Thomas in real life, although even then it's a little fuzzy. So one day at work, he writes himself a note that he leaves in his locker, and it says, On January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery 46 years old ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18 year old battle scarred marine all paperwork is set i.e. birth certificate social security card he is strong good looking battle hardened boy Mm-mm. he has money in the bank 2.5 million he is a red headed harrison ford with a 9 inch penis he is moving to west virginia to be with the love of his life
0: Ew! First of all, you can't just write something on paper and now it's true. Yeah. I'm a unicorn. Let me go write it down. Then I'm a unicorn. He is transforming. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is
1: how it's done. Is it? Yeah. He oh. wrote it down. Now it, he can repeat it to himself on in a his daily locker. basis. And then the more validation he gives himself, Holly, it's a validation that makes you younger. <laughs> I mean, that I will, that it works I will subscribe for to. For us, it will work
0: for him. All right. And also, a redheaded Harrison Ford is not. That doesn't add up.
1: It also doesn't add up for right. somebody at, like, that sounds like somebody older. Because what yeah. 18-year-old girl, and mind you, Jesse, who he did say this to once, I kind of, I've been told I look like a redheaded Harrison Ford, she responded with, ew, he's old. Yeah. Yeah, because you're 18. Uh-huh. Or younger. Who knows? Because you're 10. We don't know. I know. know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. So now here's where things start to shake up. In March of 2006, one of his daughters is on the computer, and she sees a message come in from Jesse. No. It was something uncomfortable, so she tells her mom, Cindy, who had already been feeling a bit sh- suspicious. Yeah. But worked as a nurse, so she was too busy to give a shit, decided to snoop around. That's when she found the box of all the letters and gifts, including the undies from Jesse. Oh, no. She was mortified. Yeah. She almost didn't even care that her husband was cheating. She was more alarmed that he was doing it with a girl claiming to be 18. Yes. Who Sydney was afraid was even younger based on the sound of her letters.
0: I would have felt the same way. Like, your main concern all of a sudden is like, oh, shit, like, there's mm-hmm. a child in this. Right. And also, like, all
1: of these photos, like, even if she is 18 now, like, there were so many photos that she was, like, going through. She was like, she probably wasn't 18 during all of these either, Mm -hmm. you know. So Sydney decides to be a badass and writes a letter back to Jesse, And she writes, "Jesse, enclosed you will find a picture of my family. Let me introduce you to these people. The man in the center is Tom, my husband. There is no Tommy. He is taking advantage of you. You need to be more cautious with your safety. You will only be hurt by a man who has mastered the art of manipulation and lies. Do not trust words on a computer. Sydney Montgomery.
0: Oh, that is a good woman. Right? Yes. So good. Yeah, that was good.
1: <sighs> so, yeah, she sends them, like, a family photo. Like, one, like, you, they probably took a. They had, like, a church oh,
0: photo God. day. It, it was a Sunday like, school day.
1: <laughs> it was, like, <laughs> they do, like, the portraits there mm-hmm. sometimes of the families. So then Sydney confronts Thomas about it, and he said he actually felt relieved at this point. He was like, okay, it's all, like, done. It's out in the open. I can stop this. It's like, okay. Jesse messages Tommy after getting this letter and is irate. She's, like, so pissed at him. She can't believe that he has lied to her. She was pretty disgusted, although she wasn't totally convinced yet. She was like, I... You know, we just spent, like, all this time, and now you're telling me, like, yeah. maybe this is a crazy other woman that's, like, saying this. She decides to message one of Thomas's coworkers, who went by the username Beefcake. No. He played on Pogo with OG. them numerous times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just love that he got the username Beefcake. Yes. Like, <laughs> He's the OG Beefcake. Yeah. <laughs> Beefcake's actual name was Brian Barrett. <laughs> Beefcake. <laughs> He's a 22-year-old Buffalo State College student who worked part-time at Dynabrand Corporation with Thomas and lived—I think he lived with his parents. Yeah, that sounds right. Brian was aware of who Tall Hot Blonde was but did not realize the kind of relationship she had with Thomas. I also don't even know that he, like, knew her name or anything like that. Tall Hot Blonde. It was just somebody that, like, played in the groups with them sometimes. When Jesse asked him if it was all true, was he now 47 years old, married man, and father of two, Brian confirmed it all. And Brian, who had also, like, known Thomas, like, he had gone to his house for dinner, like, Ooh. he knew the whole family, like, he was, yeah. Disgusted, probably, at, at least I hope. Yeah, Absolutely. So Jesse and Brian began to talk, and the two hit it off. Brian tells Jesse about his life—that he's a college student studying to be a teacher. He was a athlete all throughout high school, and he loves to coach little league. And he likes—and he's looking forward to graduating college as well. So they're like kind of in the same place. Is this but, true? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Or is it twist and Oh no. As their relationship strengthened, her and Thomas' relationship kept getting rockier. Yeah, they continued to talk.
0: Why would you still even talk to him? Just
1: just dip. Just yeah. get out of there. I think there was definitely a period where they didn't, and then I think she went back. Because, it, again, it's like a, all of this is like a drug. It's the attention, too. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like, there's
0: nothing truly at risk because you're not ever seeing this yeah. guy.
1: And she's just, like, pissed. She's just, like, I can't believe that this guy did yeah. this to me, you know? For sure. Jesse's mom even gets on the computer and tells him to stop talking to her, to which he said, fine, but tell your daughter the same thing. Like,
0: <laughs> oh he said God. this. Okay, so
1: again, in the documentary, when he brings up this point where, like, her mom messaged him, he sounded like such an immature child. Yeah. I was like, do you hear yourself right now? You are the grown-up. Allegedly. <sighs> Jesse convinced Brian that they should warn others in the chat about Thomas's lies. Yes. They made him out to be a pedophile, which I'm not sure yeah. that he wasn't. Uh because he did find her in a child's game room. I think he was. I'm I'm on of of the mind that he was looking for yeah. a younger person. And I will say this to you, there have been some sources that will call it a teen room mm-hmm. and then others that will say child room still. And still even if it was a teen room, why are you in a teen room? You're, yeah. you're Not a teen, even a little. But Jesse also told Brian that he should tell his supervisors at work about everything, and Brian did. So now Thomas Montgomery's whole world is falling apart, and he lost the girl of his dreams. You would think it would be over here, but Jesse ends up talking to Thomas again. She tells him she misses her Tommy, and he says that he misses being her Tommy more than she'll ever know. So they decide to start over as friends. Hi, I'm Jesse. Gross. Hi, I'm Thomas. I just graduated. Congratulations. Bye for now, Tommy. Did they
0: write it on a piece of paper so it's true?
1: No, in their instant messages. Oh, okay then. Sorry. And while she was rekindling her friendship with a 47-year-old man, she was deepening her relationship with Brian. The two were exchanging photos, and she told Thomas that they were video chatting with each other too, since they both had cameras on their computers.
0: Because he can video yeah. chat. They were getting pretty
1: risque on there. Oh, no. Brian was falling for Jesse, too. He was attracted to beautiful, blonde, athletic girls, and that's exactly what Jesse was. He was interested to see if this could actually become something, but at the, very le- at the very least, he was enjoying the attention. Of course. He's 22. And that's what all of this is about. Yeah. When Thomas overheard the guys at work talking to Brian about meeting Jesse, he snapped. So, Brian was uh, going on a trip, I think down to like North Carolina, and then decided uh, he was like, Hey, I'm like already driving down there. Maybe on my way back, I can like, we can actually meet. Yeah. And see each other. And uh, so he messaged Jesse, Thomas messaged Jesse about this. And she, being a teenage girl, kind of like egged on his anger a bit and was like, Yeah, he's coming to see me. Are you jealous? He was like, Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> also, am. I don't want you to come and see me because you're gross. Yeah. So then when Thomas messaged Brian about seeing her, he told Thomas that he wasn't even sure if they were actually going to meet. It was just something that they talked about. And if they did meet, he didn't know what he was going to do with her, which is like a weird thing to say. I don't know. But at this point, Brian, because like there had been weeks of them talking and, you know, Jesse being really annoyed with Thomas for lying. So Brian was starting to see like Jessie can get kind of dramatic, but she's just like young and but she is really hot. So like I would totally see her and probably hit that. But she is just really annoying right now. So that's where like kind of where Brian was was going with it. Whereas Thomas was just like, You're gonna take her virginity, and that's mine to take. Which is so gross. So he starts to threaten Jesse, saying he was going to send a Gang of N words to her house to oh. gang rape her. Oh, nice. And that was just one of the many things. This is like when he starts to get really, really scarily mean. Unhinged. Yeah. He also started to threaten Brian's life. Jesse at first liked how upset Thomas was getting, but when Thomas started to sound more serious about hurting, even killing Brian, saying, Brian will pay in blood, she began to worry. Thomas really starts to get mean and disgusting with his words. Not every Sunday school teacher, dad language. Not. (laughs) Jesse decides to try to relax, which she did a bit by saying that he was her Tommy and she was his. So that did like calm him down a bit, which is like weird. Jesse ended up telling Brian that she wasn't ready to meet him after that. So Brian actually just never drives to see her. Jesse did feel that she should tell Brian about Thomas, saying that he sounded really serious about hurting him. Yeah. And Brian was kind of like, oh, okay, like fucking Tom. You know, like <laughs> he's like, what's he going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Thomas, still paranoid about their relationship, starts to do some digging and goes to Jesse's MySpace, where she sees Brian's photo on her page, which I can only imagine had to have been in her top eight. Oh, MySpace. Yeah. And then on September 15th, 2006, Brian was leaving work at 10 p.m. on Friday evening. He gets into his truck and, before turning on the engine, is shot three times through the driver's side window and dies instantly. Tommy. And because he didn't have any other plans that weekend, his body would not be found for two more days. Oh. Investigators at the scene spoke to Brian's co workers. Who immediately told them about Thomas and Brian's love triangle with the 18 year old girl. Ugh. And they were just like, yeah, Thomas killed him. That's, he did it. So the police go to Thomas's house and find him not home. Yeah. I don't think his family was home at this point either. The investigators are now concerned about Jessie and want to warn her that Thomas might be headed her way. Yeah. Through all of the correspondence and photos between Brian and Jesse and Jesse and Thomas, they are able to find out where Jesse is and where she lives. Like, they're able to ping the location. They call the Oak Hill, West Virginia police and tell them what's going on. The police contact Jesse and tell them that they're on their way. So they call the damn cops. Good. Yes, call the damn cops. Meanwhile, the police are investigating the murder of Brian Barrett. They know he was shot at close range with a thirty caliber rifle. It was clear the shooter had intentions of killing Brian specifically because the back tire of Brian's car had been slashed and he was, as they say, essentially a sitting duck. Mm -hmm. They also found a peach pit because the shooter got real hungry while waiting and sitting there. Gotta bring a snack. Investigators went to Thomas's house and found his gun case. The gun that they were specifically looking for was not in the case, but through, like, going through some photos, they were actually able to find a photo with the gun case in the background. And this had, like, Sydney, Cindy, so, like, sitting on the couch. And then in the back was the gun case so they could tell, like, okay, this was their house. This is her, probably the guns. And that rifle was in there that they were looking for. And then the DNA test came back from the peach pit, and that was Thomas Montgomery's peach.
0: He had to bring a snack. He <laughs> had to bring a
1: snack. Uh, now they just needed to find him. So the Oak Police knocked on Jessie's door. Her mother answered, 46-year-old Mary Shiler. When the police asked about Jessie, she told them that Jessie didn't live there, but that she was away and didn't know how to reach her. And the police found this odd because they had just talked to Jessie. And after, and this is like where all the messages were coming from. So after a few minutes of Mary acting weird and starting to cry, she finally broke down and told police that she had been talking to Brian and Thomas under the handle of Tall Hot Blonde Ugh. and had used her daughter's name and photos Disgusting. to disguise her identity.
0: Oh.
1: It was her mother the whole time. So a 47-year-old man, a 46-year-old man, was talking to a 46-year-old woman. You could have woman. been fine. Yeah.
0: I mean, the, the whole situation is... I'm still- telling
1: you, the, the twist in here is that this is a love story. <laughs> oh, no. So... Thomas showed back up soon after, and the police arrested him immediately. He claimed he was innocent and that his wife and children would testify on his behalf.
0: Oh, okay. But
1: Sydney was like, no, he wasn't home that evening. He definitely murdered Brian. Uh, She has since divorced him. Yeah. He tried to get his daughters to lie for him, but in the end, Thomas decides to take a plea deal, which sentenced him to 20 years in prison for first-degree manslaughter. He realized he didn't want to put his daughters through a trial, and the trial was was going to give him likely like twenty five to life, which he definitely deserves. Yeah, twenty for years sure. is too soon. And Mary Sh- Shiler was never charged for doing any harm. There was like nothing; they didn't, they couldn't charge her for anything.
0: I think now you can be charged for impersonating someone else online.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, she should have something should have come of it. I think, and there she is- didn't say there was nothing in there that egged her. That, like, she didn't egg him to do any of this at the end of the day. Like, this was yeah. all Thomas that did that. But she was definitely to blame for how messy this yeah, got. Yeah, absolutely. The whole thing was her. Yeah. Her husband and daughter, the real Jesse. So, Mary was married. Okay. So her husband and daughter, the real Jessie, would not find out what her mother did until weeks or maybe months later. It was like kind of unclear. So Mary told her husband that she had to fly to New York to take the stand at a murder trial, but that she left out like a ton of details. She basically just told them that she was in a chat chat room with um, a bunch of people, and two of the guys in the group had known each other, and the one guy had like a mental disability, Mm -hmm. and he ended up shooting – the other guy and but so a few people in the chat room got like subpoenas to like go and speak and so she's like so i just have to do this so he was like okay and it wasn't until jesse's friend started making comments that she finally looked up the case her mom was involved in online and saw that saw what she had done and all the photos that she had sent to thomas and brian which were all of her And investigators also found out that Mary had been pretending to be Jesse with dozens of other men sending out hundreds of photos of Jesse to them. Most of the photos are clearly taken without Jesse's knowledge. There's Uh. even a photo of her getting, somehow getting a photo of Jesse's, like, upper thigh and, like, sending it to guys being like, do you like this? Jesse's parents (sighs) did get a divorce, and Jesse no longer speaks to her mother. Mary has never apologized to Jesse, and was still chatting with men online years later. Ew. As for Thomas, he tried committing suicide in jail. He stopped eating, lost a ton of weight, and took a lot of sleeping pills. However, he was revived, and he has tried to get an appeal saying that he was coerced into pleading guilty, but he has continued to be denied. And he is up in 2023 for parole. Um,
0: I think I get Parole.
1: But then he's only in there for twenty years at the most, so he'll be out in twenty twenty five. Great, I think, or twenty twenty seven. Yeah, don't don't friend anyone um, with the handle Marine Sniper. It wasn't until Thomas was in jail that he learned who Jesse really was—a forty-six-year-old, short, frumpy, married West Virginia woman who was duping dozens of other men at the same time, and they could have just lived happily ever after <sighs> together. Catfishing, I know. Till the cows come home. It's wild. So, and Mary has a book out that she no, wrote.
0: Don't buy that book. Don't buy it. We
1: will not be giving her money. And it's all about, like, warning people of, like, you know, chatting with strangers online. Except does,
0: she's warning people about herself. Yeah. No. No. Do not buy that book. We will not link that book. No. It's stupid. Get out of here. You're the one. Yeah.
1: So, there's a documentary um, that's called Tall Hot Blonde, and that's from 2009, and... It was really good, <laughs> so good. They have a psychologist on there that is very smart, but they just—I re- really wish they just dabbed his upper lip because oh, no. he just kept sweating. He was just a sweaty mess just through the very whole. Very nervous. He didn't look nervous. He looked like real good, but, <laughs> but also um, <laughs> sweaty. But very sweaty. The lights are just hitting him. And then there is a made-for-TV movie <laughs> that I think is called Tall, Hot, Blonde too. And that one is directed by Courtney Cox, who does make a guest appearance. Um, Oh, man. It is not good. Oh, no. But I'm sure very enjoyable to watch. Cool. Maybe we'll
0: do it for our Patreon. Yeah, maybe we'll do that for our (laughs) movie. movie. Yeah, we got to do a movie this month. Yeah, maybe it'll be that one. Maybe it's going to be that one. (laughs) There you go. All right. That was fun. So, Leslie, that was a great story. (laughs) I wish you guys, if you saw it live— Oh, it was so fun because Leslie had pictures, when well, we had pictures for both cases, but like this one is really served by seeing illustrations of these people. Um, so the photo suite will have them all, I promise. Anything that we showed on our slideshow will probably be able to make it in. Also, in between our stories, Leslie played a really fun game with the audience. Yes. And we were able to extract that audio, I believe. Yeah,
1: yes. and we're going to throw it at the end of the episode. So if you want to... Stick around at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, we always have a tag at the end in case you didn't realize. If you don't
0: know, at the very end of every episode, like, after Leslie gives the, like, follow us on this, this, and this, there is always, like, a tiny, funny little tag. (laughs) Like a Pixar movie.
1: (laughs) So this one will be the game that we played. So that's where you can get your pop culture facts, too.
0: You know what? I bet so many people don't know that. I know. I I just thought about that all the time. It's so fun. Because nobody mentions it. No, they don't. You guys <laughs> go back now. If you are like our fiends and you've listened to them, and listen to just like the last couple minutes of every episode, yeah. there's a tag in everyone. And John does such a good he job does. picking mm-hmm. them. Yeah, we don't know what they're gonna be either. John picks them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you got a little fun secret. So yeah, every week, make sure you turn turn in tune in to the very last second so you can hear like the little gem. Yeah. At the end. <laughs> now it's going to be a thing. Yeah. We're putting it out into the world. We should put that on our like group too. <laughs> All right. So um, now I'm going to tell you guys my story. It is January of 2016, and Angela Connell feels like the luckiest girl in the world. It seems she had done the impossible. She met a nice, normal, successful guy online. Don't worry, it's not going in the same direction as yours. (laughs) His name was Ian Diaz. He was a U.S. Marshal. He had a beautiful condo in Anaheim, California, where we confirmed last week Disneyland is located. (laughs) Disneyland was actually Ian's favorite place, as he used to work there before beginning his career in law enforcement and still loved to go back and visit his former co-workers. Isn't that wholesome?
1: Yeah, but... I always feel like there's something
0: a little strange about Disney adults. Don't. (laughs) Not for my sake. We have many a listener who is a Disney adult. I know. We love you. We do not think you're strange.
1: Yeah, I guess not strange because I love to go to Disney too. I love
0: Disney World. But there's something strange. (laughs) Don't come at me. This is all Leslie. (laughs) You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot right now. I know, but like, I will always want to go to Disney. So I don't know what it is,
1: but I'm just always like, hmm. <laughs> Especially okay. when they don't have kids yet.
0: Oh, well. Sometimes,
1: but there's a ton. I know all of my friends are like
0: that. I know, I was going to say, I know a ton of them adults that love, that are like super invested. Yeah. Dressing up, taking pictures with characters, living their life. Yeah. But I'm always going to be like,
1: hmm. <laughs> But then, yeah, I will go to the Food and Wine Festival
0: with you. And I won't. Hmm, you're there. Oh, you won't? No. <laughs> no.
1: All right. Be very hypocritical.
0: <laughs> well, this is a conversation you can have with all of the people that are going to be mad about it. Yeah, be mad and then take me to Disney with you and show me why it's great. I will go. <laughs> <laughs> That's your ulterior motive. Yeah. You just want them to take you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Prove me wrong. <laughs> well, this wholesome Disney-loving man just seemed like a dream. Angela could hardly believe her luck. After surviving a harrowing bout of cervical cancer the previous year, she felt lucky to simply be alive. But to also find an actual Prince Charming was almost too much good luck to believe. Aw, Prince Charming. After a month-long, hyper-intense whirlwind courtship, Ian and Angela were married, living together in the beautiful condo in Anaheim, and Angela was pregnant. Oh, no. Yeah, sure, it was really fast, but Angela was madly in love. Ian was very quick to say I love you and was all in from the moment they started talking. He showered Angela with attention and praise. It felt like one long daydream covered in glitter and pink puffy hearts. Nice. Disney sparkles. (laughs) (laughs) The next few months were not without their challenges. Angela lost the baby she was pregnant with in January, but quickly recovered and had recently surprised her husband with an early ultrasound picture of the twins they were now expecting. In moving to Anaheim and starting a new life, Angela had given up her job as a lawyer, but was looking for something a little less demanding that would accommodate her ever-growing little family. Her husband made good money, thankfully, and the pair were not struggling financially, even with Angela being between jobs. Seems like it's going good for them. Yeah, for sure. But then, one day, in the spring of 2016, Angela was checking her emails when she discovered something strange, a letter from a person she did not know. It wasn't spam. It wasn't a bridal shower invitation, because you know how sometimes you don't mm-hmm. know who they have coming from? <laughs> yep, all the time. <laughs> or a newsletter she forgot she had signed up for. It was short, to the point, and terrifying. The email came from her LinkedIn account. I guess LinkedIn can send—I've never done LinkedIn. Yes. I guess they can send mm-hmm. you emails. So, And it was from a man named Jason Ray. And among other things, it said, quote, There are legends that Adam had a wife before Eve who was named Lilith. This is not found in the Bible. The legends vary significantly, but they all essentially agree that Lilith left Adam because she did not want to submit to him. According to the legends, Lilith was an evil, wicked woman who committed adultery with Satan and produced a race of evil creatures, <laughs> Ugh, which are the vampire
1: creatures. Nice. What yeah. an
0: email to get, though. Yeah, you know, it's like, like
1: thank you, sir.
0: A nice light discourse. <laughs> just like, are little. you hiring? <laughs> Maybe he was offering a, <laughs> yeah. a job. I don't know his employment. Why would you spend yeah. that? <laughs> is Angela, this
1: supposed to be the people that come at the door, and he just didn't feel like it? <laughs> Did he have a pamphlet? He was with like, it? Was "Oh an my attachment? god,
0: church is just boring today, and I'm gonna instead email people on LinkedIn." Yeah, talk sure. about vampires. It's fine. Angela was justifiably unsettled and immediately told her husband he was too scared for her, but he said it was probably just some nasty internet troll. And maybe a former jealous colleague or something. She should just delete it and move on. I think that's all of our mindset. When you like, if something like that would happen, you'd be like, "Oh my god, don't feed the troll. Just ignore it. This is somebody mm-hmm. like looking to get attention. You just have to move on. Or if you respond, he could be stealing your identity. <laughs> exactly. Somehow. Like this is not a situation you want to engage in. Yeah. Basically. And he's a, a U.S. Marshal. He's a U.S. So Marshal. Absolutely. And if you were her, you'd be like, well, my husband's a U.S. marshal. I'm probably pretty safe. Called the damn cops. He is. The the cops live in her. house. He is the cop. Yeah. But the next day, another email came in, and this time it was worse than the first. This one said, quote, I hope you are scared of death tomorrow. Be prepared. Don't sleep. Be watchful of the daughters of God. We will steal your child, and we will watch as it dies. He is using you for everything. Don't you see this? He is obsessed with me. I am his treasured princess. You are nothing. Watch your back tomorrow.
1: Okay, so it's like, I don't know, just being helpful. It was like a little warning, a nice warning. Yeah.
0: Angela once again brought the letter to her husband, and this time he admitted that he thought he might know who they were coming from. Mm. Before Angela, he had been engaged to another woman named Michelle Hadley, and their breakup had been volatile. The pair were together for two years and planned to get married. Ian and Michelle moved in together in the spring of 2014 and got engaged when Ian proposed with an extravagant diamond ring in December of 2014 and purchased the Anaheim condo together in the summer of 2015. This was the very condo that Angela and Ian were currently living in, currently planning their family in. Shortly after Ian and Michelle purchased the condo, things became different between them. Michelle seemed to pull away. She became distant and angry. The pair fought all the time, and Ian began to suspect that Michelle had been cheating on him. Finally, in September, the pair called it quits. Ian asked for her ring back, and Michelle packed her things into boxes, loaded up her car, and drove away. Okay. But that wasn't the end of it. Mm. The pair fought bitterly over finances, and Michelle became enraged. One night, after a particularly nasty exchange, Michelle fired off an email that rang pretty familiarly in the emails Angela had been receiving. The Reader's Digest version of it went like this. So these are all direct quotations, but there's more, obviously. Quote, You're in your body, but your mind is somewhere else. Your sins are many, including defiling me and my family with your wicked and evil sexual acts, your financial coercion and irresponsibility, your gluttony, your greed, your lust, your sloth, your wrath, your envy, and most of all, your pride. This is the list. Mm. I will bring the full force of the law and the word of God against you to judge you. End quote. Ian said Michelle was unhinged by their breakup, and that sounds like pretty unhinged. Yeah. And probably had been watching him and was now taking out her rage on his new bride. He was beside himself. And the emails continued through May and into early June. And um, they are all saying, like, weird stalky things, like, I saw you outside the grocery store. I'm watching you, like, they're very specific and they're very threatening. I hate stalkers. I know, they're the worst and these emails were now coming from nine different email addresses, but all saying the same things. Angela had begun to respond to them, stating that she knew they were Michelle and that they should stop immediately before she pressed charges. The letters all threatened to harm Angela and her unborn babies. They all called her sinful and claimed that her husband didn't love her. The fairy tale, it seemed, was over. In the beginning of June, Angela filed a restraining order, and on June 6, Michelle was served with it. Angela thought, this would be the end of her torment. But unfortunately, it was just the beginning. A week after the restraining order had been served, Angela began to get responses to replies to Craigslist ads. Now, I know that's like a really convoluted sentence, but it's like, I guess if you're in the world of Craigslist, it makes sense. Like it's mm-hmm. like it's It was as though she had responded to a Craigslist ad and the person was then writing her back through the next step. Right. Now, these ads were placed looking for women to engage in a rape fantasy with. And they were all particularly of a violent nature. So essentially, this is supposed to be a pre-agreed-upon consensual attack. And it's something that some people get off on. Mm -hmm. Now, I am 100% not here to kink shame anyone. Let me just get that out there right off the bat. These folks are all consenting adults, people who normally do who this is their thing. Basically, some people really like the idea of taking someone by force. And some people really like the idea of being taken by force. And Craigslist is there to bring these people together without asking a single question about their mental well-being. Oof. Well done, Craigslist. Yeah. How could that go wrong? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. It couldn't possibly. <laughs> oh, it's so that's
1: everything that
0: terrifies me, all wrapped into one. <laughs> right? Ugh. So this is like she's this is Angela being signed up for one of these experiences, but she didn't do it. Oh no. Once they find out about each other, like we're back to the Craigslist scenario, the victim will give the attacker details about their location for the day. They may even give them combinations to a door lock, leave a key, like where their spare key is, or tell them that the windows will be open. And then they will both commit super hard to their roles and play the situation out. So this person will come and essentially break into your home and hold you down and rape you. Yeah. Now, as long as everyone has a good time, nobody gets hurt or traumatized, and no property is irrevocably damaged in the process, I guess, live and let live? Right. It's fully consented. Yeah. Do I think that this has the potential to be pretty problematic? Yes. Do I think if you really want to rape someone, it's something you probably should discuss with a professional? Mm -hmm. Also, yes. But that's just me. But these people want to get a consent. They get consa- the different, a lot of them don't want to. They fantasize hard about raping someone, and they know this yeah. is the way to legally do it. Mm. I'm not saying that there aren't people that that's again. They're like, well, i, I it feels taboo, but I know it's okay. So I'm going to do it. I just think the line is so slim there. Mm-hmm. And I also think that you are fi- fantasizing about doing something that is harmful, right. So I don't know that that's not something you should sit down and think about for a little while, yeah,, um, but it probably comes from a less than healthy place mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Again, live and let live. Now, when people do this honestly, everyone seems to be pretty pleased with their transactions, but that's not what's happening here. Angela obviously never responded to ads looking for rape fantasies and looking for a partner in them, in fact. These responses weren't even addressed to her. They were addressed to an account using the name Lilith Hadley. But Angela and Ian's address was the one given in the transaction. Quote, If you are free tonight, come and find me, wrote Lilith, providing Angela and Ian's address quote, force me into my house and take me down. So the plan is that this person is going to show up when Angela's coming home and then, like, push her in the house and, like, rape her. That's Ew. the plan. Yes. hmm This message was received on June 13th, and on the 17th, Michelle was brought to court so that Angela could file a formal complaint. So this is, like, the the court process of the restraining order. So, like, this is, like, they had to actually go to court for it or something. It's a little blurry as to why they were in court, but it had something to do with the restraining order. So Angela brought with her a stack of printed emails and all her paperwork signed and witnessed. Angela was terrified, but the Diaz family was right there with her. She put on a confident facade, and Michelle walked in looking weak and frightened. So like, of course, she's trying to manipulate the court. Who would believe this small and polite woman was the manipulative monster capable of scaring Angela so badly that she said she had begun to experience difficulties with her pregnancy? Mm. Papers were served, and Michelle left the court without saying a word to either of them. Ardently denying she had written a single one of those emails or ever visited a rape fantasy board in her life, Angela, for her part, stood her ground, and yet again hoped against hope that this wouldn't be the en- that this would, be the end of her whole sordid ordeal. Now the police were involved, and like the law was involved. Her husband was in law enforcement. Again, the the, the damn cops are in her house. Surely everything is going to be safe now. Everybody knows. They know it's this woman. It's all going to be all right. But then the seemingly impossible happened. Men began showing up. Mm. Thankfully, Angela wasn't in on this, so she hadn't left a door or a window open. She hadn't done any of those things. And um, she was, I guess, able to communicate with these guys that this is not what she wanted. She was <laughs> she not the She was just, like, run- in the window, yeah, like, like, no, no, no. No, thank you. um... Excuse me, not me. You have I mean, to go. And they're like, is this
1: part of it? Is yeah. that, are do we, I mean, are we in it? Do I break? Do the, we start? Are we, free? yeah. We didn't talk
0: about breaking a window, but I'll break it. I mean, like, I will. I if will. you got to put that in the contract, though. Yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll talk later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come back. <laughs> so, and she's pretty lucky that these guys, like, figured it out and walked away, too, because a lot of these transactions are pretty explicit, and they require the woman to scream and protest as part of the deal. Mm-hmm. A lot of them say like, I will fight you and claw at you and cry, but I want you to keep going. Until
1: I say cacao. <laughs> what is exotic safe word? You know?
0: What is a delight!
1: It's from Portlandia.
0: Oh, okay. Cacao to cacao. <laughs> <laughs> She's lucky that none of them really like doubled down and went hard. And I don't love this. Again, if part of your instructions are like, I'm going to cry, but I want you to keep hurting me. Right. That's not great. Or if you're the guy that's like, I want you to cry while I keep hurting you. You're I f- like, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I feel like both of them need, like, need something. Okay. So on June 24th, the Anaheim Police Department received a 911 call from Angela Diaz. She had returned home and was entering her condo through the garage when a man came out of nowhere and attacked her, again, just like the email pushed her into her home. She told them that he had choked her and ripped her shirt that he tried to rape her, but she managed to get away and run into the house, locking the door behind her. The man then fled. Angela had been through hell. Pregnant, shaken, and battered, she finally convinced the police that they needed to take action, and Michelle Hadley was arrested. It's
1: terrifying. I
0: know. Like, it actually happened? The guy shows up at your house? Oh, my God. I don't know if I would ever sleep again as long as I live. Ugh. Police locked Michelle up on a $10,000 bail which her parents immediately posted in cash. Okay. So she's released immediately. Angela was broken. Again, like, I would never sleep. That's terrifying. But then for a couple of weeks, things went quiet. On July 13th, Angela called the Anaheim Police Department again to report a strange man lurking outside her home. She called him a teen. She was like, there's a teen. I get it. I get it, girl. Teens are scary. Enough was enough. Michelle was arrested again, and this time her bail was set at $1 million dollars. When asked about this astronomical charge, the Orange County District Attorney said, quote, We believe we have a true public safety issue, and if Michelle Hadley is not arrested, then Angela Diaz will eventually be raped or killed. Well, yeah! yeah. She at least she signed her up for rapes! Finally, after this, Angela felt safe. She knew there would be a court battle to follow, but for now, the woman who had relentlessly attacked her for months was safely behind bars. Alone in her cell... Michelle was given permission to call her parents. They asked her if she wanted them to post bail, even though doing so would nearly bankrupt them. Michelle said no. She told her parents to take all that money and hire the best lawyer they could find. Okay. As it turned out, Michelle had a very different story to tell. She and Ian had indeed been engaged, that much was true, but he was not the Prince Charming Angela made him out to be. Ian had met Michelle on a dating site in late 2013. Michelle was 26, and Ian was 35. Michelle had only been in one previous relationship with her high school sweetheart, who she had married and then divorced four years later. So that's—oh, she's 26, already married and divorced. Michelle said Ian was sweet and charming, telling her that he loved her on just their second date. Red flag. Yeah. Oh, guys. Oh, my God. If someone tells you they love you on your second date, like, that's— You didn't just hit the lottery. That person is scary, and you should probably Mm -hmm. run away. Mm -hmm. Unless your relationship started that way, in which case you are the exception, and congratulations. Yay. (laughs) Oh, no. Did they
1: also get engaged
0: online? No, they, they, like, saw each other in person, but they did get engaged. And by the spring of that year, they had moved in together. Ian really poured on the charm and devotion, paying constant and tedious attention to Michelle. It was dizzying. Like a drug. Again, we're talking about attention. This is the same thing. And this is something called love bombing, and it is terrifying. A skilled manipulator will have the ability to flatter their victim basically into a coma. A love bomber will make you feel so loved, so special, so doted upon that you don't even notice their intentions maybe aren't the best. Mm-hmm. This is also effective with men who love bomb a woman who was not initially interested in them or attracted to them. And they kind of like love bomb them into agreeing to be with them, right? They just beat you down to you or exactly. Like, yes, and we <laughs> talked about this. I think it was last week. It's like the Ross and Rachel situation, yeah, where you just like pour it on so thick that eventually the like the receiving end has no defense. And I say man and woman because the most common combination of this, like the most reported instances of it are men doing it to women. Yeah, but it absolutely happens in every single gender combination oh, for sure you can find. So um, I'm just using that as an example. And also using it as an example because in pop culture, that's how you'll see it. In films, in TV, it's always like the nice guy who was just so nice that eventually the girl had to be with him. Right. Never mind if she didn't want to. I know. I've seen this a couple
1: times with myself, but Mm -hmm. with friends who they almost just out of feeling like, Maybe I'm being too uh, vain in the yes. relationship and just, you know what? He's a really good guy, really cares about me. Let me just, um, I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try this yep. relationship. And then they're in it, and it it is the worst relationship. Mm-hmm. It's disastrous. And you're like, oh. It's
0: because they were trying to force it. But you're like, gaslit into believing that mm-hmm. you're the one who was wrong, and this super nice guy, you're just, like, yeah. letting him languish. And then you stay in it for a while because you think,
1: like, well, I don't want anyone to think that I don't like them just because I don't find them attractive or something. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's it comes down to that, but it's not really that. And that's classic
0: gaslighting. You, mm-hmm. like, doubting your own opinion to who you are attracted to because of how much someone has said to you, That's that's, like, the biggest manipulation you could possibly... Be under. Absolutely. And l- listen, I'm guilty. That ha- It happened to me 100%. I've fallen for that in my youth a couple times. Yeah. And it was disastrous every time. Yeah. If, to me, when you're on the receiving end, it feels like being hypnotized. You know, like you just, again, like we were just saying, you just like now you just believe everything they say. Oh, I guess you are a great guy. I guess we are in love. I guess yeah. we are happy. Okay. Well, I have to marry you because this is my life now. Right. And, the, and it's also, like, a fear of losing them. Yeah. You're, like, terrified of losing that relationship, too. And so Ian Diaz slowly began asking Michelle to change. He wanted her to dress sexier, nagging her to wear crop tops and shorter skirts. He asked her to pierce her navel and get acrylic nails. And this is not Ms. Michelle's style in the least. She describes herself as a goody two-shoes and a nerd. But that isn't what Ian wanted. He also convinced her to leave her job and take a $20,000 pay cut to accept a marketing position in his favorite place, Disneyland Resorts. Damn. Mm-hmm. If hmm It was Disney World, I'd understand. But Disneyland? I've never been to Disneyland. Maybe it is better. I do not know. There are I- devotees of each. Yeah. I guess we're going to have to go to California. I guess so. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So, but this job put Michelle at work on a daily basis with Ian's old coworkers who were only too happy to watch her every move and report back to Ian. Because now, he also needed to know where she was and what she was doing at every moment. Classic love bomber. But Michelle was so far down that love bomb hole that she just agreed to do whatever he wanted her to do because she was terrified of losing him if she didn't. Ian, however, wasn't satisfied with just having her co-workers report back. He also was monitoring her computer and following her around in his car when they weren't together. The situation was tense. That is terrifying. I mean, I've been there, and it's ugly. In December of 2014, Ian did propose, and Michelle did say yes, but her version of what followed is a whole lot darker. According to Michelle, after they got engaged, Ian really put pressure on her to have sex with another man in front of him while he watched. He had been asking her to do this for months, but after giving her a gigantic diamond ring, he really had more to lean on, and eventually the pressure was just too much. On Valentine's Day of 2014, Michelle gave in. And I hate this next part. She took a couple doses of NyQuil, followed by a couple shots of Fireball, and then let her husband video her having sex with another man, a man she did not want to be having sex with at all. A man Ian had found on Craigslist. Oh man. Hmm. That's so oh if poor you're thing. in your like own situation with your partner, and in order to do something they want you to do, you have to take Nyquil and drink hard alcohol. You shouldn't be doing that thing. I know. She was so deep in it though. I know. It makes me so sad. The next morning Michelle was sick, scared and full of regret. Of course she begged Ian to destroy the tape, but he refused, stating, quote No one put a gun to your head. Ew, Ian. He's terrible. Ew. I know. In the summer of 2015, Michelle put down the $14,000 deposit for the condo that she and Ian took out the mortgage for together, but she put down the money. Okay. After that, the relationship began to sour, but it wasn't Michelle who pulled away. Ian was the one who became paranoid, angry, and physically threatening. Michelle recalled Ian once pulling over his SUV on the freeway during a fight and telling her to get out, which she didn't do. Later, when she tried to leave him, he allegedly threw her down on their bed, holding on to her as she tried to claw away and scream. Sounds like a man who might know a thing or two about rape fantasies, Mm. don't you think? Yeah. At the end of the summer, the pair broke up with Ian demanding Michelle's ring back and Michelle fleeing the condo in her car in terror. Michelle got a small apartment near Chapman University where she was working. They did battle hotly over the condo, and one night in frustration and exhaustion, Michelle did send that biblically angry email. So that first email from her is true, but Ian responded by spinning the case against her to his friends in law enforcement, who, thinking he was in danger, helped him keep tabs on Michelle. Oh... Mm Mm-hmm, because his co-workers are all also U.S. Marshals, so they have the ability to do that, and they're going to believe him over her, obviously. And the tone of that email, that biblically rageful email she wrote to him, is very easy to mimic. Yeah, for sure. So, Ian was tracking Michelle's every move, monitoring her computer and showing up at her job and apartment complex. In fact, after Ian appeared on the security cameras at Chapman University a number of times— Michelle was able to have him banned from the campus. Finally, at the end of 2015, after Michelle and Ian hired property lawyers to help end their dispute, they agreed that in six months, early June of 2016, Ooh. Ian would fully assume payments for the condo, and if he couldn't afford it by then, they'd sell. And wouldn't you know, just a few weeks after they settled, Ian met Angela and in early June of 2016, things really started getting bad for Michelle. Ah. Curious, isn't it? Yes. Ian had also really, like, in the process of stalking her and stuff, was actively trying to bully her into giving up the condo. That's what he wanted. Of course, right. So if that wasn't obvious. But anyone can tell a story, can't they? Yep. I mean, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You've just heard two detailed versions of the lead-up to the same event. Obviously, one of them is lying. But which one is it? Hmm. Did Michelle lose her mind after her Prince Charming broke up with her? Or did Ian systematically torture the women he said he loves? Well, neither. And both. Twist! (laughs) (laughs) Outwardly, it looked like Angela and Ian had been harassed by an angry ex, and the police were quick to believe this. In fact, under no point in the initial investigation was Ian ever interviewed. He was a U.S. Marshal. If anyone should be trusted, it was him. Michelle, however, has absolutely no criminal record, a sterling reputation with all of her employers, and not so much as a speeding ticket in her past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's only two people in this story. Mm hmm. We'll get there. It seemed curious that she would in turn that she would turn into a criminal mastermind on a dime, but law enforcement knew that this was not unheard of. People can just snap. And this was the narrative that made the most sense. And so Michelle spent three long months in prison. Oh my. hmm It would seem that she had nothing left. Nothing. But receipts. Okay. You see, Michelle had previously reported curious activity on her online accounts. She had, in fact, phoned the Anaheim police four times to report that someone, she suspected it was Ian Diaz, was impersonating her online. Back in May, Michelle had sensed something strange was happening to her accounts. She got an email from Google informing her that a Gmail address she'd never started had been shut down. Later, from Microsoft, she received automated messages alerting her that her primary email was now being used as the recovery contact for a handful of new Outlook addresses. It seemed like someone was creating new accounts and tying them back to her. On June 13th, one of those new accounts linked to someone using the name Lilith Hadley, and they replied to a Craigslist ad seeking women interested in rape fantasies in Orange County. Then, Michelle got an email from Craigslist asking her to verify that she'd created a new ad titled, Gang Rape Fantasy. (laughs) According to her lawsuit, she emailed uh, abuse at craigslist.org about the fake ads, but she said she never heard back. Also, Michelle had the security cameras in the Anaheim condo pulled because it was her condo. She knew where the cameras were. Right. And none of them showed any activity in the condo at the supposed time of the attack. Oh. Hmm. So just made it up. Curious. All of this feels pretty damning for Ian. And Michelle's parents worked tirelessly on providing her with an airtight alibi. All the while, Michelle languished in prison. As the highest security sort of prisoner, too, this straight-A student and mild-mannered college employee had to strip down and squat before she entered any room. Then, on September 30th, 2016, Ian Diaz drove to the police station and asked to give them a statement. He had told the police that they should release Michelle Hadley because he had reason to believe that his wife <gasps> had framed her. Oh. hmm Ah, yes. Remember Angela? I do. hmm The lawyer who left her life to be with Ian and was twice pregnant with his children? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, Angela was not at all what she seemed to be. She never worked as a lawyer. Oh. In fact, she had previously been arrested on fraud charges for doctoring checks from her employers. Oh, my. Angela had also lied about her pregnancies. How? The first one, she had told the police she tragically lost due to stress, and Ian confirmed that he had told her to abort that pregnancy um, because he didn't know if he was the father. Oh. He didn't want to raise somebody else's child. Ian. He's a class act. Always coming on top. Well, remember, um, within a month of their relationship, they were married, living together, and she was pregnant. Yes. So it was in that—not pre- per- that I'm excusing it. He's a shit, 100%. Oh, for sure. But that, that's the one I'm talking about. He was like, I'm ready to marry you, but I'm not ready to be but your father. But you have to terminate your child's father, Yeah. Yep. I didn't say Ian was going to come out looking good. He still sucks. Angela had then gone on to fake her second pregnancy. Ian discovered that the ultrasounds she presented him with were fakes. She mm-hmm. had purchased them online. Oh my gosh. You can buy ultrasound pictures online and uh, that don't ever do that. That's terrible. Now, wait. Was she I'm sorry. Was she actually pregnant the first time and lost it or no? No, she was okay. never pregnant. But you you can just say I mean that supposedly that pregnancy um she miscarried it like really early. Right, right. So you wouldn't have ne- necessarily had an ultrasound at that point in time. Like sometimes they don't even give them to you till 8 weeks. Yeah. Oh, and the cervical cancer she claimed to have just barely survived? She had that. Never happened. Oh. I know. Angela. Angela. (laughs) Angela had a clean bill of health as far as any doctor she had ever seen was concerned, but she sure did steal medical stationery and fake doctor's notes to make a believable case for herself. Which would have been great to have as a student. For sure. Doctor's notes at your disposal. Yeah. (laughs) Further investigation revealed that the Craigslist posts and the emails almost all— they can't trace all of them. They can trace, I think, like, 17 out of them, which is quite a few. They all came from either the computer in Angela and Ian's home or Angela's phone. Furthermore, upon examining the squeaky clean footage, all of the emails and Angela's 911 call and post-attack examination, they have determined that Angela faked the entire attack. Oh, my God. So she ripped her own clothing and caused all the minor injuries she had sustained herself. Like, she had, like, a red mark on her neck. So she just made her neck red. Oh. Yeah. And, like, you know, faked an attempted rape or whatever. Okay. I don't know. She roughed herself up a little bit. Okay.
1: Ian, Backing Angela. I know. Angela,
0: jeez. Ian filed for divorce immediately after he reported Angela. <laughs> On January 6, 2017, Angela was arrested, and three days later, Michelle was exonerated by the Orange County District Attorney's Office. After Ian Diaz turned in his wife, he was never questioned again. Hmm. Authorities asked for the smartphone he had been using at the time of the crimes, but he claimed that he, quote, gave it to his mom, and the issue was never brought up again. Oh, on October 17, 2017, Angela pleaded guilty to 10 felony charges, including false imprisonment and perjury. Michelle had faced a maximum sentence of life in prison, but Angela struck a deal with prosecutors and was given just five years. She is now serving time at the McFarland Female Community Reentry Facility in Central California. Michelle, however, remained stalwart that Ian had a hand in all of this, telling Dateline that, quote, The failure to investigate adequately the role of Ian Diaz is a serious concern. And Michelle did go on to file a lawsuit against Anaheim and against Ian, trying to say that this was a situation of the blue wall of silence. Okay. Where she said, this is a lot of cops sticking up for each other. He had friends in law enforcement. I said these things. They purposefully did not investigate him. Yeah. They were all too happy to just say it was Angela, but Angela also did confess, and there's, like, receipts that add up to her doing a lot of it. Right. I think Michelle just really thought, and I don't think she's wrong, that Ian should have also seen consequences for what he did. Absolutely. Yeah, and he should have. According to BuzzFeed News, quote, Since her exoneration, Michelle Hadley obtained her MBA and found a good job in her field, marketing for a beauty company. She moved across the country to New York to live with her sister and escape Orange County— the place where she'd become infamous. On the surface, her life might seem back to normal, but trauma has left a crater in her life. As Hadley explained it, she's still climbing out of debt, largely a result of unpaid bills that piled up during and after her incarceration. By the time of Hadley's release, Ian Diaz had sold the Anaheim condo, which they'd purchased for about $470,000. She said she didn't see a cent from the $499,000 resale. Wow. And her lawsuit um, did not end in her favor. Oh, no. So, yeah, Ian continues to not see any penalties for his possible hand. And the things he did to Michelle, like, he definitely tortured her. Right. Her family has evidence of that. Like, that was not even questioned. That's what? That's, like, the same thing in my case with, like, Mm -hmm. Mary not getting anything. Yeah. So, those are our...
1: Wow. Twisted stories. See, it was hard to hear in the live show. Yeah uh, where we were. So it's nice it's actually nice to get to hear it again. Because yeah, I same. was like,
0: oh, I, there were some parts I missed. There's the whole story. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. So that was nice. And um, yes, yeah, stay around till after the pre recorded plug for our socials at the end to listen to Leslie's pop culture. It was so fun with a live audience. Yes. It was so fun to have people hollering things out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It was great. I hope you guys are always doing that in your house. I know. Me too. (laughs) I imagine that's what's happening. I really hope that it is. And if we were invested in a situation that was not what it seemed, we would be dead.
1: Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wouldbe Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.
0: Is terrifying, <laughs> mm. but you can call out together. So Leslie, give us some fun. Let's do it. So most of my facts are now in
1: 2005. So
0: 2005. So put your brain into 2005. I was a um I was a senior.
1: I was graduating, so
0: I was just like crazy. I had already graduated college, cause I am a dinosaur. So <laughs> in
1: my first question is, in 2005, who <laughs> won American? Season four. Who won American Idol Season Uh, four? Ruben Sutter, Fantasia, Carrie Underwood, or David Cook? Who do you think? It was. 2005. Okay, I will go through all of them. Which go was it. <laughs> the sorcerer's stone. The one. The chamber of secrets. Two. The prisoner of Mastodon, Three. The goblet of fire. Four. The half prince. Five. The deathly hallows part okay. one. Six. or part two. Okay. Which one? <laughs> it was yeah. four. Goblet. Oh. Up to um, either give me the name of the song or
0: who sang it, right? Or you can continue singing, okay? That's so uh, everybody back me up because this is when I get high. I
1: mm-hmm. love and it. So feel free to sing after, too, okay? Awesome. My life is brilliant, my life is pure I saw an angel of that I should. She is smiling on a she is looking on a man. No. But I won't lose my sleep on that, cuz I've got a plan. You're beautiful! Who's hanging? Yeah. I'll do one more, and maybe that's first, the best. Fast. Coming out of my cage, and I've been, been doing, doing just fine, fine. i got to be down here.